love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Gurugamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Gurugamesh. Welcome to the Garugamesh Podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. Don't question that. I am the host, the most mostly Jay, and joining me is my second co-host, part-time Irishman, part-time anime expert, full-time chill dude, Gabriel. How are you doing, man? Hello, I'm doing well. I'm very happy to be here talking about my favorite Japanimation. I, 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 yes, I, um, uh, a new a new objective of the podcast is to bring back Japanimation as a reference for anime. We think anime, it's too mainstream, it's too well-known, we need to really bring back the cult. We all just need to sit in the dark at 3am with our bad, cheap laptops online complaining about children's cartoons. Oh, we're just so heavily into 80s and 90s anime culture that we've just decided we're going to exist there now. And we're going to pretend that everything that happened after about 1999-2000 just doesn't exist. Which means we now refer to all anime as Japanimation and I will hear no other word for it. Today on the Garugamesh podcast, yes. Gabe... You're going to kill me for this, but... And you don't seem to understand. It's a shame, for once you were an honest man. I've heard the song thousands of times in my life, and yet it still hits me to the core. Today on the Garugamesh podcast, we are covering the 1998 experimental science fiction cyberpunk anime Serial Experiments Lane, written by Chiaki J. Kanaka and directed by Ryotaro Nakamura. And this has been a long time coming for this show. Like discussing what our pilot episodes would be, our both of us had our hearts set on Lane pretty I'd early say so. on. I'd Lane's say been Lane's one of the series that I've come back to quite a lot over the years, and I think, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and I think there's reasons we're talking about, which is why we're doing a podcast episode on it. Oh, I thought it was just an excuse to yell into a microphone for I mean, sixty to ninety why minutes. We're doing the podcast in general. Um, I mean, we're white men aged twenty-one to seventy-nine, so it is our God-given yes, right to do uh, such a thing. thing of, I'm, I'm a white male aged twenty-five to forty, and everyone cares about my opinion. Well, you know, you know that that's why for the next fifteen minutes we're going to talk about what sandwich we had earlier, as opposed to talking about the subject of our podcast. That's how all of these internet shows work. Oh well, see, if we're talking about sandwiches, we can start with the bread. What kind of bread are we having? We're having sourdough, we're having normal, we're having white. I'm having I'm having digital bread. I'm converting all my meals into the cyberspace uh, of the wired. See, so you well brought done. it back. Smart move. I'll I'll be rojoganing in no time. So, Jay, what are your experiences with Lane? Because I think this is the first time you've watched it, right? This is the main key theme of this episode is going to be something called aesthetic memory. Sure. Because what I'm going to try and communicate is Lane is a funny beast because I swear I'd watched it in my past. However, upon actually sitting down and doing it again, I'd realized, oh, I just watched the first episode over and over again and convinced myself that I'd finished the show. And I'm pretty sure the internet has done exactly the same thing because Lane, more than plot points, more than themes, Lane's memory on the internet and within the general zeitgeist of anime culture is more remembered for its opening, for its aesthetic, and for its general vibe than any sort of key no, story beat. That kind of almost exists in the ether 
with like any like tangibility to it. It's like it's kind of like Sailor Moon in a way. I feel in that Sailor little not in bit terms of like any comparison with the shows themselves, but in terms of how they remember by the fandoms. Sailor, not many people have actually sat down and watched all like what two hundred plus episodes of Sailor Moon, but. It's the same with Dragon Ball to to a certain extent. It's a cultural memory exactly. that exists within the anime zeitgeist. The conversation will always come back to it, even if it's only even for if a fleeting it's only moment. It's like a passing reference, or I mean, I wish it was more Leon merch, but like as a piece of merch or something. But I don't know, Leon, like, like you said, Leon's a very weird show because a lot of people seem to have seen it, and yeah, a lot of people also seem to have not seen it, if that makes sense. Well, I'm going to get into this when we talk about the distribution history and the general legacy of Lane, but Lane is definitively a cult anime. It's, it's, ne- it's never been like mainstream mainstream. It never aired on American television. It never got like the Toonami or Adult Swim premium treatment. It's always been relegated to something that your cool friend would mention to you when hanging out and something that you would then sort of become obsessed with for, say, a couple of days and then kind of move on with your life. And yeah, it's, 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 I'm going to repeat this word over and over again. It's memory. Lane has firmly implanted itself, it has embedded its memory into anime culture, and it's kind of miraculous. It's kind of strange, because I do remember those sort of like early days when I was getting into the anime fandom, and Lane was one of those shows that... It's not like, I don't feel like it was ever particularly Mm. super obscure or like super niche, but it was certainly in its own little niche. And it wasn't you, it wasn't Naruto, it wasn't Bleach, you know, your average person wouldn't have heard of it. This is like a few years before anime started really becoming like the sort of cultural juggernaut that it is nowadays. But if you were in this fandom, you knew. Yeah. If, yeah, if you were like if you were a weeb, effectively, you knew what Lian was, regardless of if you'd seen it. Like it was like browsing around A, for instance, in like the early 2010s, late 2000s, there'd just be constant Lian memes. So I'm gonna say something that's gonna, for lack of a better term, make me sound like a pompous asshole. Uh Lane has a reputation for being complex and trippy and like having all sorts of different endings and themes. Yeah, I would say, I would say alongside sort of like Evangelion, it's kind of the poster child for that sort of like style of anime. Mm. So yeah, I got it, guys. Um, uh, it, podcast over. I got it. I got Lane. Oh, is, oh, oh, is that the episode? Yeah, 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 yeah basically. Oh, yeah. Right. No, no, we're back to talking about sandwiches. This what is if important. you you said you wanted more Lane Lane merchandise? What if what what, what get what if we get Subway? to release the Siberia and it's just yes <laughs> it's just like Italian bread but it's just a bunch of microchips in I between tell if you planned the joke in a month or not because and then as soon, as soon as you take your first bite just your reality around you collapses and you just become like a comatose child <laughs> weeping on the floor as another version of yourself like lives your own life <laughs> Oh my lord, that is terrifying and yet delectable. That's the tagline, terrifying but delectable. That's most of my Subway experiences. I've had Subway in a few years, but this this, this will bring me back, I think. <laughs> the lean merch. So, yeah, let me, let me go into further detail by saying that I get it. Now, I feel that Lane is the poster child for baby's first psychotropic anime. 
like most of us are introduced to anime by shows that usually revolve around action, some sort of adventure. Yes. Or if, say, you're part of like the Zuma generation, shows that are like light and soft and don't necessarily expect much from their audiences. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but I'm saying that mm. it's a less intense experience emotionally and in terms of attention span. If Lane was your first anime, Please, can I talk to your psychiatric ward? Because I would be fascinated to hear your story. Because if you, like, popped like a tsunami child in front of this, like, after school, just just, just after a countless episode of, of filler Dragon Ball Z, you put this on, nothing else, you, you glued the rice to the television, how do they not come out of this being a scared, broken shell of a human being? I mean, I feel like it kind of testifies to the diversity of the anime medium that a lot of us, like like you say, a lot of us start out on like popular shows. So like, you know, your big shonen, your big long running shonen series, your sort of like lighthearted adventure for lighthearted day to day stuff, your Ghibli style adventure films, blah, blah, blah. we all start out with that sort of thing. If you're coming more from the film side, you might start out more with stuff like Akira or Ghost in the Shell. But Leon's kind of... But even they are more yes, recognizable. Even they're, they're more genre. They're more established within what we know as Western film and television genre. You can pin them down to say, this is kind of like this. Yes. There's not really anything in American entertainment that Lane is like. It has elements of stuff like, I'd say, David Lynch and... Oh, it's, there's there's certainly influences from Western cinema. It's like I believe I remember reading about um, Chunaka's input on the writing, and he was largely influenced by a lot of Western horror films as well as directors like uh, Jean Luc Godard, who I haven't seen any Godard unfortunately, but it sort of gives you the kind of vibe that they're going with. It's less of a oh we're following in a tradition of Japanese storytelling, Japanese cinema. It's like, oh, we're kind of mixing the aesthetics of different cultures and different arts. And it creates this really interesting show that can't really, like like you say, it can't really be pinned down into any kind of like specific definition. Which is really interesting because I think my ultimate hot take, my ultimate thesis statement that I've talked to you in regards to like pre-show um, discussions, Lane to me, Serial Experiments Lane, is the bingo sheet of 90s experimental anime. And I mean that in the most complimentary manner possible, because if you were to sort of chart tropes and narrative devices, both visually and otherwise, of TV original anime of this experimental boom, from Neon Genesis Evangelion, Vision of Escaflone, Revolutionary Girl Utena, now and then, here and there, um, Dragon Ball GT... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I respect you for squeezing it in there I really do but here's the thing like as much as I'm, that's a meme answer you could find this in GT as well like uh, cutting all the sound and having very intense Dutch angled cinematography using hmm. montages of seemingly disparate imagery using very violent color palettes of primary colors that then become secondary colors the use of synth music to sort of like make it even more uncomfortable and sort of eerie there's a focus on strained shots of irises 
and just eyes in general are a, are a major part of this period of anime. Like all of these filmmaking techniques that are employed across these titles of 90s anime are kind of found in Lane. And so because I was so experienced with that kind of anime going into this, my mind wasn't blown as opposed to like, well, I, I did not see that coming. I did not see, she, 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 she's like a robot lady, but she's not real. My, my reaction was more along the lines of, ah, nice they're doing this. Solemn, solemn nod, nodding of the head. And I kind of sat down like an old man who's been around the same block his entire life, mm. being pleasantly surprised at what I recognize a medium to be. And so Lane to me, I'll get into this later, is the final form of this period of anime. And it's also kind of the final form of this kind of cyberpunk story. Yeah, that's I can see that. The evolution of cyberpunk in sort of like anime is probably something that you're a bit more familiar with than I am. But I can definitely see the like lineage like that it kind of encapsulates almost. Mm. Like of course, of course. Like the fifteen to twenty years previous of anime cyberpunk that's been slowly building up and Leon kind of ticks all of the boxes of it. But mm, absolutely. I think that, like we were saying earlier, the reaction of someone coming to it as you know, a fresh-faced young youngster versus yourself, mm. who's, yeah, knows, knows quite a bit about cyberpunk, speed around the block with this sort of stuff. Like the, kind of, the kind of appreciation that you're going to have for that show is going to be very different based on where you're coming out of mm. like of course i watched first watched lane when i when i would have been about 14 like about 10 years ago now which is fuck me a long time but like i'd started watching anime for a few years gone into a few shows and the lane was where i started watching lane around the sort of period that i was dipping into sort of like pre-2000 stuff and like more experimental and you know your cult classics kind of, of course of course i'd kind of watched a lot of the popular stuff and was you know starting to get a bit more into the culture and then finding more cult classic shows and lean was one of those ones that when you're coming to watch it like as a teenager or a younger person it does have that sort of like mystique to it because whilst i feel the lean storyline isn't actually that complex or dense or difficult to understand the way that it's presented can get quite difficult to understand if you're not already if you don't already have sort of like the troops equipped if you're not inundated if you don't already have all of that inundation in the troops and the storytelling concepts that Liam kind of revels in really heavily i'm actually really glad you talked about that because also i would say that a, a plot summary of serial experiments lane Spoilers, by the way, for most, if not all, of our episodes. These are retrospectives, after all. If I were to, like, sum Lane up in, like, a single paragraph, I would say, Serial Experiments Lane is about a young girl who slowly realizes her reality is false, but then learns that she can control and manipulate yes, it. Yes, that's pretty much spot on. Yeah, so I'd like to get into the actual sort of narrative and sort of the events of the show itself. So to, to begin us, what are some key moments? Because as, as we said, there's more of an aesthetic memory of uh, the opening by Boa or uh, certain shots of character artwork. So what are some actual moments in Lane itself, Gabe, that you really latch onto or you find interesting or, if you, or you just remember? So see, 
This is where Leon as a memory gets really interesting because I've watched Leon. I think like I think this is the fourth time that I've watched it over the last decade or so, mm. and most of the show for me, quite honestly, it's kind of a blur. Like it all sort of like most of the story events, even though when it's like quite fresh in my memory, it all kind of like merges together, and there's not a huge amount in the show that is really like standout moments of you know when like your long running shonen shows where you get like a couple of episodes in the story arc where it's like a big confrontation and it's like holy shit this is this is fantastic this is like standout episodes yeah when Lane show. drops the weights and beats up Bill Gates in that arena yeah that really hit me oh, hard yeah, that's man phenomenal but <laughs> in particular it's it's kind of hard for me to really articulate it because you understand the series as a whole. And everything kind of stands mm. out. But in the way that the story's written and the way that it's structured, it all kind of merges. It's purposely ambiguous yes. and makes you question literally everything that happens on screen. Well, you see, I Gabe, mean, yeah. you're lucky for you, I wrote notes! Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> and I have specific things I'd like to talk mm. about, because whilst Lane, in my opinion, is a simple story told in a very complex way, this, that doesn't mean that there's not juicy, juicy bits of that we can go into like i've written down like the three episodes that are most key to my experience are episode three episode eight and episode 13 the final episode so beginning i think most people remember the pilot yes where chisa a member of lane's class ostensibly kills herself to be in the wide to be in this big source of collective data and then everyone at lane's school starts to talk about how she should get a new navi, a new new computer, and really explore the wired. We see that she has a very distant home life. Her dad is, is technology obsessed. Her mother's very distant. Her sister's not really around much. And it's the very traditional Japanese nuclear family that's really getting into like an iMac for the first time. And then it kind of just develops into, we see Lane's addiction to technology, sort of getting new motherboards. There's I, I did sort of like have a cheeky little chuckle when Lane's room is just surrounded by pools of water or fans, because of course this is 1998 and internal fans for desktops weren't nearly as advanced as they are nowadays. So of course you're going to have to cool that down with like ice water surrounding the room. So everything doesn't like overheat and blow itself up. Just the, the way Lane's room is just filled with these weird kind of semi biopunk machines that are all just hooked up to each other. Mm, mm. I'm very glad you mentioned biopunk because I'm, that, that plays a key role in the final episode. But just going through some of my thoughts that will hopefully, hopefully trigger some of yours. I was really interested in all of the, like Siberia, the nightclub that Lane and her friends frequently um, go to is, I mean, once again, nightclubs are a bingo sheet of cyberpunk. Yes. They're a requirement. They are a, a standard trope from William Gibson to Ridley Scott to Katsuhiro Tomo, you're always going to get some sort of like punk nightclub with neon lighting and sort of people saying, yo, what's on the other side, man? That's, that, that's what you can expect in this. And I was really surprised because I didn't think that Siberia would play a massive role in the series, but it really does in the sense of it develops everyone's understanding of what they really want to get into in the wired because Lane is really sexual. And I don't mean sexual in sort of like, va-va-boom, get a look at these tamales, kind of, you know, gonagai, big biddies everywhere. It's more in the sense of, 
it flirts with the idea of adult sexuality. It's very sexuality in Leon functions, I think, very much as a this is a story about adolescence. This is a story. This is this is a coming of age story, like ultimately at its core. And apart, of- which is really funny considering its active protagonist kind of just sits in their room for most of the show. And it's like sexuality is obviously a very significant part of that coming of age journey. And what's interesting about Leon's development in that aspect is that. It never like ticks over. It never becomes like a no, fundamental no. focal point. It's just kind of It's always a haunting aspect yes. of the show that's always in the background. It's just kind of like a thematic presence that's there. And it's not something that ever really stands out that often. The only yeah. times really that you get a glimpse of it is Leon in Siberia talking to other characters and they're mentioning yeah. like oh, how wild she was the other night. And you're just like, what? This is what? This is what's going on yeah. here. And I, lo- I love that. That's one of my favorite, like, as soon as I heard that, that got me fascinated in this, because this show, as we've said, is sort of like the 20th century's final thesis on cyberpunk. And at this time, like, you know, dial-up internet was becoming semi- semi-affordable and cults were forming online. And by cults, I don't just mean Tom Cruise with his under 35 age wife. I, I mean... <laughs> Uh, I mean, sort of genuine groups of people with niche interests. And there's, there's from day one, the idea of the persona, the fact that on the internet we can be someone completely different and older, because Lane's 15, but all of her friends are sort of wearing more revealing dresses because they want to feel older in this very adult nightclub and how this, this alternate persona of Lane is more sexually liberated though we never see anything it's implied that like she's wild and wild is quite often associated with being liberated in regards to your sexuality nudity and just general freedom and the idea that this cyberspace allows a dangerous level of sexual freedom that's also contrasted with violence considering that one dude who goes deep into the wire and this goes crazy and kills himself in front of lane That's also an element of the internet being exposed to extreme imagery and kind of being semi-numb to it. Like, I think the very core aspect of Leon is that experience of living a large part of your life through the internet and how your identity Mm. changes and develops through that experience. It's like, as you say, Leon spends the vast majority of the series sat in her room and Mm. yet a lot happens there's a lot that goes on in that one bedroom because she is existing through the wired arguably in the wired and her identity subsequently changes quite like quite substantially actually it's like i don't know about yourself but i have experiences of you know growing up on the internet using forums and message boards and and i and i did take on personas you do take on like different aspects of your personality and some of, of course some of some aspects get reduced others get inflamed massively and i think Leon does a fantastic job of really capturing that and that's but also in a subtle way because like you know perhaps if a show is produced nowadays it might have an entire episode where they're like monologuing to themselves like light yagami style like thanks to the wired i can be myself i can be what i can't be online like it's basically it would be ready player one Serial Experiments Lane in the modern day would be Ready Player One. Oh, that's I've never seen Ready Player One. But that's, 
an interesting comparison. <laughs> and actually, I do see what you mean. Lane's doing Fortnite dances. <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone's running around in the wire as licensed characters. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's the terrifying image. No, 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 no. That's the hottest take. Forget all this collectivist nonsense about, like, you know, tributes to anime. Like, the, the Serial Experiments Lane is Ready Player One for Weebs. <laughs> I did it! Oh no. I solved anime. Oh, oh. I'm getting I'm I'm get, I'm getting bludgeoned online for this. And I and I'm and I'm all here oh, for online. it. Online, no. This this is the people are going to be reaching through the screen to just whack you a bit ahead of a yaoi paddle. No, they're gonna be choking me and trying to erase me from the internet, just like in episode eight. Rumors. Hey, I did it again. Nice. See? Well done. See? 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 I'm a professional podcasty man. Um, episode eight is probably my favorite episode of the series because that's kind of the final dessert of everything I was talking about, about all these beautiful tropes of 90s anime fitting together. How so? Uh, well, what I mean by this is I kind of noted down something in my head. Episode eight is the one where Lane ostensibly starts a rumor about Alice, her friend, and her fantasies and interests in her older teacher character. and. Throughout the course of this, this is where um, some very Anno-esque direction kind of takes over because Lane's running through her school and it's kind of dead silent, but then it's this undercurrent of synth music and everyone has this dead-eyed expression and they're locking their eyes on her as if they're basically saying, we know you did it, we know you did it, we know you did it. And she doesn't know what she, what she did and everyone is focusing on her. There's Dutch angles, there's sort of nudity frames, but it's, they're like mannequins. And then she sort of like disappears into some, some montage imagery. There's intense sexuality about like Alice's sort of like miniature masturbation scene, fantasizing about this older teacher. There's Lane literally choking herself because she wants to erase that persona that's gone rogue of herself in the wired. And she literally says, why do you have to feel so warm? There's the scene where she manages to essentially erase that rumor and data from the wired but all of the people surrounding her all of the avatars suddenly have her face and then there's the sort of final scene where her friends greet her but they greet her persona that runs out and is more extroverted and more liberated and lane just has to witness the consequences of her trying to erase the collective memories of uh, what is like you know the wired humanity and it's sort of a highlight reel of everything a director would sort of say and say, all right, you know what we're going to do? In this episode, we're going to have lots of pretty colors and naked girls. Oh, man. I mean, all jokes aside, it's, it's an incredibly powerful episode. And it's one, of, it's one of the episodes in the series, I think, that really highlights a lot of the key themes. Because mm. another key theme that runs very, very heavily throughout the entirety of Leon, but actually really comes to the surface in that episode, is mental illness. Specifically, the scene mm. where Leon, like that you described of Leon running through the school, and it's shot in such a way that all of the other you know, kids in school are like staring at her, and it's all very abstract, and it's it feels very claustrophobic, and it feels very it feels like paranoia. Just like pure paranoia on screen. You've nailed it. You've nailed and it. It's so intense and it's so anxiety inducing and consuming that you, you feel it. Like you, you feel this anxiety because you, you don't know what's happened yet. 
will not seem mm-hmm. concurs. Like you don't know that Leon's alter ego has gone rogue and spread this rumor. You're very much in Lee in the same shoes as Lane. You're just sat there going like, mm. what the fuck's going on? Oh shit. Oh, this is really intense. Oh God. Like, and you literally witness her having a panic attack, basically. It's really yeah. quite intense. And with the fragmenting of personalities in particular, that's something that was very intentionally written into the script. Like there's a lot of elements in Lane's character of her having uh, something like dissociative identity disorder um, with her different character, like with her different personas splitting off and doing different things in the wired and Mm. an interesting sort of like bit of trivia from the production is that we see three main personalities for Lian. We see her sort of child, you know, her childish side, who's the first one we're introduced to, you know, wears a bear suit, is very sort of like spacey, you know, not really interested in doing much. We have her more like yeah peak introvert. Yeah, we have her more assertive one, her more assertive personality who exists very much in the wired and is the one mm. who basically calls a lot of people out on their bullshit and is kind mm. of a badass. And then you and then there's the sadistic side that is like even more wild and sexual, but in sort of like a very in a very disturbing demented way. way. Yeah, yes, in a way that's very carnal is the word I'd use. Yeah. And very just uncomfortable and uncanny of you like, oh, this this isn't oh, this isn't Lian. Oh, but but mm. it is. And what's very interesting about that is that those three personalities were written with different scripts. The Oh, interesting. I believe it was Khan Lian, um, is written in Katakana. I believe Sird of Lian is written in Kanji, and I believe sadistically and is written in Roman script. So there's very clear markers in the script of which Leon is which. But obviously we, we don't get to see that. Oh no, of course not. And we couldn't understand it even if we got our hands on it. But that's really interesting, especially with the like dissociative identity disorder as you've mentioned, because I was going to say that there's yeah, I'm glad that you've cleared it up that there's free, because it's very clear that the the assertive lane and the sadistic lane are not the same lane. And that can be a little ambiguous upon a first-timer's watch. I mean, the, the Lane's identity throughout the whole show is kind of ambiguous because whilst you sort of learn how to tell the markers of which Lane is which, and again, the thing with the eyes, it mostly comes back to her eyes. You can kind of tell which Lane it is based on how her eyes are drawn, mm. but none of that is explicitly told to us. So it creates this really interesting dynamic throughout the entirety of the show of, well, what Lane is this? Like which which Lane is doing these things and saying these things right now. It's never one hundred percent clear. So do you have any more production notes? Because I'm usually the one who likes to sort of take notice of uh animated cinematography, animated sort of music, anything that isn't just story and characters. But I didn't get into this as far as I want. I'm very familiar with Kanaka, who we will give his due in in a few minutes. But are there any production notes you'd like to bring up? Because I know you're way more familiar with uh Nakamura than I am. Nakamura, hmm. Nakamura's involvement in the show, from my understanding, is not that he doesn't have a big hand in it, not to say that at all, but from my understanding, he was very much brought on to the project. Ah, so it was contract work as, a po- as opposed to being a part of the initial like committee. Yeah, so the whole Lian project was initially conceived actually as a multimedia project. 
uh, by the producer Yasuyuku Ueda. I'm butchering his name, Yasuyuku Ueda. Well, white people talking about anime, does our God-given right to mispronounce Japanese people's names continue? Absolutely. So Ueda sort of came up with the whole concept of creating this show that is very, very you know, violently experimental in its storytelling and mm. its form. And, you know, the kind he kind of wanted to create a show that was really going to push the boundaries of the medium and you know, get people talking about it. Like Yeah, it was built for late night Japanese cable. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that he wanted it to create a sort of like dialogue between Americanized Western audiences and Japanese audiences. And that was very much an intention going forward. How much that ended up playing out, I'm not sure, because there's a general sense of everyone kind of watching the show and going, what? What was that? But I think that's a, that's a very interesting sort of angle to go at it with. And in terms of the production committee, there's roughly four people who are considered to be a, like kind of the core team of what eventually created Lane. So we've already mentioned uh, Nakamura, the director, who's worked on a lot of really good projects and has sadly now passed away. But he, I'm not too sure about his direct input on the show, but you can sort of see the sort of DNA strands of it in his other works as well, especially Kino's Journey. I was going to bring that up considering like for Western audiences especially, Kino's Journey is probably his second most uh, famous involvement in regards to TV anime. As far as I'm aware, yes. Nakamura never worked on any projects that were particularly massive, I think. He was always like on the more small scale stuff. I can imagine that he very much brought the sort of like vibe of it because as, as we said, Kino's journey is very sort of like laid back, very philosophical, very thought provoking. And Leon is also like that in a lot of ways. Um, we've also mentioned Ueda, a uh, producer who kind of was the genesis of what the show would eventually become. Konaka, who we've also mentioned, was someone... Konaka was the person who Ueda sort of like developed the story with. Konaka was very involved from sort of like the beginning stages. And what's interesting about Lee in particular is because they started as a multimedia project, they originally worked on the PlayStation game starting the anime i was going to bring that up do you have any experience with the playstation game because i sadly didn't get into it but i understand in japan it's actually kind of a decent part of it fairly like a fairly decent part i believe that the i just actually realized that it's kind of a parallel with the show with the themes of the show almost so each part of the Leon multimedia project so you've got the anime you've got the video game uh, you've got a short uh, doujinshi manga and each of those are a completely different take on the original concept, sort of like a fragmentation of the idea, almost very similar to Lee's fragmentation of identity. That's actually really interesting, considering uh, our episode next time on Ghost in the Shell also has that exact relationship with its different incarnations. Please continue. It's almost as if identity is a major theme of cyberpunk, cyberpunk fiction. Anyway, I thought it was just cool Keanu Reeves man saying that government isn't very good and that the corporations are all behind and it, man. They just, they just jump around and wear like cool leather jackets and yeah, wow. My dick's out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll patch that later, maybe we won't. 
Oh, no, nah, I keep that. That's, that's gold. <laughs> anyway. This, this city is burning, and also my penis won't stay inside my cool, tight leather pants. Curse you, curse you mid-tier Polish developers. Why did you promise so much? Maybe it's a metaphor for society. <laughs> my cyberized knife laser penis. Back to Lee. Back to Lee. Oh. Okay, I'm calling myself time. So, the Leon video game is... I've seen a bit of footage of it. It's very much a visual novel style, but it's not a visual novel as in, like, how we understand, how we understand visual novels. It's, it's very much like a collection of documents. So it's a collection of diary entries, sort of like stray notes, and notes from Leon's therapist, which is very interesting and it's sort of meant to be a discovery almost you're i believe they wanted you to be sort of like inundated with information and you sort of have to sift your way through all of the notes in the game to try and figure out what happened it's very much um her story before that became a is it her story what fucking game is that See, in, in, in the modern day gaming landscape, you would just hit the figure it out button and then everything would be yes. highlighted and then you just you just connect the dots. But the, but the Leon video game very much isn't like that. It's meant to be a lot of work on the player's part to sort of figure out what's going on. Quickly, mash X to question your identity. Yes. Thank you, uh, David Kidd. So... Unfortunately, the video game hasn't been translated into English or hasn't been patched, but there is a PDF out there of the full script translated, and it's about 800 pages long. So I had a flick for it. I didn't really read all of it because that's a lot to read, but it's, 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 it is out there for people who are interested enough in seeking it out. It fascinates me is the fact that they... This isn't the first time Japan has done a multimedia project in regards to trying to get, you know, Western whiteies, for lack of a better term, into anime. Like, you know, Akira was incredibly successful in VHS because they knew it was going to be, like, same with, same with Ghost in the Shell. So whilst, as we mentioned, Lane never got a TV serialization, no. it did get a DVD release. And I imagine that's where it, like, shined, or dimmed in this case, because I feel that Lane is probably best consumed uh, late at night on a rainy day on a CITV. Uh, I think you're right about that. And it's like, as much as when I got my order for the Lane Blu ray, I ordered for us, for us to do this episode. And I held it in my hands and I was looking at it. I'm holding it now. And my only thought was, I can't believe that I'm actually holding this. <laughs> Like and, ten years ago, I wouldn't. I would never even have conceived of being able to hold a copy of Leon in my hands. Yeah, it's what's really weird is that the Lane Blu-ray has actually existed for a while. Like Funimation saved it from DVD hell in like 2011, 2012. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been out for quite a few years. But it almost feels wrong watching something this so cultly established in nice clean HD by mainstream distributors that's widely available for purchase. And I must say, it looks fantastic on Blu-ray. Oh, it's a, fan, like, it's a, wonderful, tra it's a wonderful transfer. Like, the, the lighting pops, like, nothing transfers to Blu-ray like cellular anime. No, absolutely not. But you're right in saying that there's something strange about not watching it in, you know, a 480p like torrent that <laughs> it has, like, really garish subs and it looks really, really stretched and pixelated. 
like it's a weird experience like it almost feels as if the show is more suited to that kind of format i'd like to bring another guest on on the show to to tell us about the vintage anime experience i'd like to just uh oh here here he is um uh, gabe i'd like to meet my my grunkle greg my angry scottish grandfather who um has been into anime since the beginning uh grunkle greg uh, could you tell us about watching serial experiments lane for the first time Back in my days in Edinburgh, I used to have to beat my chickens every single day so I could afford to go down to the rocks factory so I could trade my chickens for rocks and then buy my Ranma one half VHSs. When I saw Sealy Experiments lean for the first time, I thought, what's this mainstream garbage? 480p, you lot are Spoiled. Back in my day, I had to steal cells from the anime studios and put them together to make my own anime episode. With all your 1040p blue discs and whatever. Whatever happened to Betamax? Okay, that's why I don't let him out of the basement. Okay, thank you, Grunkle Greg. That is one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard, and yet I appreciate his input. Can you feed me? No, no, back in the basement. Go, come on. No anime for you. Ah, resuming the episode. Resuming the episode. So to bring it back a little bit, looking at my Liam Blu-ray right now, I'm driven to mention the final member of the major, like the four members of the production committee. The final person who's sort of considered to bring together Liam is Yoshitoshi Abe. And what's interesting is that he's the only uh, member of the production who's sort of like given a call out on the cover of this, of like of the Blu-ray. And Abe was responsible for most of the major character designs Mm. in the show, including Lane's character design. Well, I'd say considering how much we've talked about Lane's aesthetic memory, he might be arguably one of the most, he might be the most important member of the committee, considering what people remember about Lane most is the pretty artwork. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of say so. Like, Abe's aesthetic is kind of what defines the aesthetic of the whole show. It's kind of... If I were to go out on a limb, I would say that Yoshitoshi Abe's aesthetic is kind of like if Satoshi Kon met Masamune Shiro in the middle and kind of fused those art styles together. That's kind of perfect, actually, yeah. Because Abe's art style is... He's, he's primarily a doujinshi artist. He's written a few professional manga, but he mostly works in amateur comics. Um, and his art is very, it's very scratchy. It's very rough. He, he's famous for like never using rulers or anything. He does pretty much everything freehand. So it makes everything have this very sort of like rough, sort of like off kilter look to it. And combine that with the fact that his character designs are whilst sort of adhering to the cute moe anime aesthetic that's very known and popular it's a bit more realistic it's a bit more in line with as you say satoshi khan's art style it's the eyes that Uh, specifically make me think khan because they're big and expressive but they're not sort of like exaggerated multiple light points like modern or even 90s moe no they're not like your big early key sort of like clanad bug eyes or anything like that yeah, everyone they're is very big and very expressive yeah they're very realistic in their own way i now i now want a universe where instead of sort of like this petite sort of nice sort of elegant frame i want a universe where serial experiments lane was done by rob liefeld and everyone is just huge <laughs> has like huge pouches everyone has like a cylinder gun even though there's no guns in the show well there's, there's a few guns but like every, everyone's just like a heaping muscle mass 
Lane's doing the butt boobs pose that should break a spine. Just like ruin everything good about this aesthetic. Very interesting. <laughs> I would watch that. Uh, so Abe's input on the show, like as you say, in terms of creating this sort of like weird collective memory for Lian is very pertinent because what we see most of when I'm on the internet and I'm just kind of like browsing for anime forums or whatever, whenever I see Lian, it's primarily Abe's artwork or it's a link to the opening. Like that's where you see Lian come through most of all. Which is also a part of its cross-national appeal, the fact that a British indie band did the opening to this obscure cult anime and the fact that that song is the most i'd i'd go out on a limb and say that's what lane is known most for yeah i would agree it's one of the most iconic anime openings that's kind of ever been sung or written and it's insane because it sounds like stereotypically put a gun to everyone's head you'd think of a generic anime opening on something like cruel angels thesis or something like chala hechala like something that is very upbeat and is throwing a lot of weird words that you don't understand at you but this is, it's English. It's a song about heartbreak. It's a song about identity. Duvet by Boa is, you could not have gotten a better, more thematic song for this. And it kind of works that it's in English. So no, I agree. It creates this sort of like, especially when you're watching it in conjunction with the Japanese dub, it creates this very otherworldly off-kilter feeling. I, I, I just want to do a few more points before we really get into the show's ending and its reputation mm. in modern anime fandom. Uh, I'm just going to list off a few notations here. Um, in regards to the dub, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a standard 2000s outing. There's decent few stiff performances, but overall it's, you know, for the year 2000, it, it, it's, it's pretty good. No, I'd, I'd agree. I've seen a few episodes of the dub and... There's nothing like strikingly wrong with it. Yeah. It's it's possible, it's fine. What's actually quite funny is like a, a couple of Ghost in the Shell alumni sort of like side characters in this, which makes me Oh really? Yeah, like Richard Avcar and Mary Elizabeth McGuinn play a lot of sort of like ghostly voices in the wired yeah. who would later go on to oh, be like Yeah, Bato and the Major, respectively, which is quite mm. funny. Uh I would say that Lane is an event-driven storyline as opposed to a character-driven storyline, considering Lane literally, her reality is literally composed around her as an experiment. And also, there's some queer context in Lane. It's not super overt, but it's certainly there. No, it's like, in, especially in regards to your first point there, I would almost say that Lane is primarily an event driven storyline, but that, that's part of its theme. Oh, I yeah, feel. 100%. It's like it, it almost switches halfway through where. For a large part of the series, Leon is very driven by external events yes. and very driven by things happening to her. And then in part of growing and developing as a character, she starts to become more assertive and starts to drive events more herself. Of course, there's back and forth on this throughout the show, and it all kind of comes to a head in the ending. Yeah, I, I, I want to spearhead the ending now because once again because i'm familiar with two elements i predicted how this would end and i was very happy with the ending because one Mm. i got it or at least i think i got it and two i once again i'm gonna hammer this home this is representative of the era so i think for what might be one of our last sections of the show here Chiaki j kanaka i think we should discuss his writing our experience with his writing and how this is kind of a template for what he would go on to do in his future works. 
Yes, like Konake is, I think, as time goes on, kind of becoming one of the most loved and respected writers in yeah. the entirety of the anime industry. Especially for someone who isn't a writer-director. No, and he doesn't really write much anymore. No. He hasn't written a show since like the late 2000s, years, I think. Yeah, and it's kind of a shame, but it almost makes the work that he has produced that much more valuable. Well, in he a has way. been technically working since the late 80s. So, yes. you know, the man's done his duty to anime. But there are two Kanaka tropes that, when looking back at my work and the work I'm familiar with, and the work that you're probably familiar with, that you could probably agree to this that memories are a big part of Kanaka's writing, and Becoming God. Yeah, the Becoming God bit's kind of kind of pertinent, really. It's how he kind of ends all of his stories, in, in one way or another. Because I think if you and I did the fusion dance, I mean, on one True. hand, we'd, we'd both have glorious beards and yes, funny and voices. Our, our power level would be just phenomenally free to yeah think of all the anime vhs's we we could collect with with our, our psychic abilities we would we wouldn't even have vhs's that would be too <laughs> that would be too casual for us would be on the laser deck ah <laughs> uh, that, that, that that's that's too much power man i'm scared but no doing the fusion dance we kind of represent two sides of kanaka fandom well i'm a fan of a lot of his staff writing and contracted positions, hmm. and you're a fan of a lot of his original sort of spearhead projects. So you're familiar with the likes of Digimon Tamers and Technolize, and I'm familiar with like his roles on Razafon, and more specifically the Big O, which, yes. dear God, Serial Experiments Lane's basically a template for that show. Lane also feels very much like a precursor to Digimon Tamers, hmm. which is really weird because it's a Digimon series, but a lot of the same themes that come up in Lane also come up in Tamers and are kind of key elements of that show. Themes of identity, themes of different realities blending together. It's a really strange show. Because like, the ending of Lane is essentially, she confronts the being who claims they're the god of the Wired, who kind of morphs into this biopunk Akira-like mess of body parts to prove that they're real yeah. because they have a body. And a key line that really resonated with me, maybe it's because I'm an atheist, maybe it's because I've just always had a fascination with rejecting uh, belief storylines, where Lane says, how can you be a god if no one worships you? And that's, that's, that's a really interesting point. Like, religion is not a major part of Serial Experiments Lane, but it is an undercurrent that is worth talking about, even only for a bit. Oh, I'd agree. I would say that Lane, I would say that religion in Lane is not a major part of the storyline is and it's not something that we very much directly see but as you say it's an undercurrent it's kind of always there yeah like it's continuous and like there's even an entire episode named religion mm, yeah like what is what is religion if not the belief of something that is of a higher realm of understanding that you strive to walk towards and there's a lot of discussion about god and about deities mm. Especially like towards the end of the series with this discussion between Lane and Masami Iri, the character who sort of like thinks that he's become the god of the wire. Thank you for naming him, because aside from Lane and Alice, I can't remember anyone's goddamn name in this show. Maybe <laughs> it's because they don't ever say it. No, the, not many characters in the show are like named very frequently, other than like Lane, Alice, and Masami Iri. But him kind of forming on Lane's ending. I'm a big fan of metafiction. Mm. From Kanaka's work to Grant Morrison, 
to basically anything that kind of fuses eclectic and cool together, I'm absolutely, I'm in for. And Lane's ending is exactly that, where once again, the Kanaka trope of becoming God, she literally becomes an omnipresent being when discovering that the wired and the real world might be one of the same and the lines between reality and digital are so blurred that it doesn't really matter. She essentially reforms the world with the memories she has and holds on to. So Alice is now older and she's dating the teacher that she likes, but now it's completely consensual and fine because they're both adults in this universe. The two weird like X-Files spooks FBI agents that kind of follow Lane throughout. They're just working as sort of repairmen. And uh, what was his name? Sarakiri? Masami Airy. Yeah, Masami Airy is just this sort of like disgruntled salary man who's like, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. Gonna quit. <laughs> and it's just kind of mumbling off to himself as like a, a, a pathetic has-been in this new reality. And it ends on the same bridge that the opening always ends on. And I think it's the ending is perfect. And it doesn't matter that I predicted it because it's it's not even ambiguous in my opinion. It's very clear what happens. You've just oh, got to... It's, it's very clear cut. And it's very upbeat and happy compared to the rest of the series. Like, yeah. first of Leon is quite downbeat, kind of morose. You know, it's got really like a dark sort of vibe going on to it. Mm. But that ending is very... To bring Ava into the mix... As we always must... Very- we we have to. <laughs> I know, it's I know, I know. Remin- <laughs> it's very reminiscent of that bit in episode twenty six where we're in instrumentality and we see Shinji acting out like his ideal life and it's all rom com. It's very similar to that sort of vibe. Yeah, there's this big, like, there's this big sense of bittersweetness to yeah. it because Lane is the- distant from this reality. She's yeah. not interacting with it. She's sort of like yeah. a distant watcher god and it's not even that it's just that she's distanced or detached from it like she's completely removed from it the only time that she really appears is to talk to Alice and also doesn't even recognize her but it's because you know that Leon has created this reality yeah Leon has placed everyone everywhere Leon has placed them this all. is the genesis of this world yeah and Leon is literally, again, literally God. Yeah, beco- becoming God. That's, that's, re- I'd say that's probably Kanaka's like biggest wheelhouse. Like he kind of, in many ways, he reuses the story, the kind of the same bones of the story every time, but like it has a different flesh and skin. And that's not a criticism. That's, you know, that totally works. So I think just wrapping up on this episode, Gabe, is. Yes. What do you think Lane's contextual modern reputation is among the anime community? And after we're done with that, I'm going to recommend some things that if you like Serial Experiments, Lane, you might like these as well. I would say, hmm, having been a fan of Lane for about 10 years now, and that's not me trying to be like, oh, look how much cooler I am than all of you. Jeffrey, oh. shall we throw diamonds at the poor again whilst watching Zeta Gundam on Laserdisc? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but it's been really, really interesting to watch how audience sort of like reaction to Leon has changed over the years. Because it's gone through a very, not anywhere as significant to an extent, but it's gone through a very similar arc to JoJo. I, I didn't think you were going to bring this, but somehow you did it. You did what every anime fan does. You brought it back to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you son of a bitch. Yep, I have done that. And I've never even seen the anime. <laughs> but the, the point is that prior to the JoJo anime coming out, it was 
incredibly niche. Like it was something that only like manga readers. You had into. like the out of print DVDs of the the Satoshi Kon nineteen ninety three and two thousand anime that even at the time, and no one even really yeah, gave no a one shit cared about, about them aside from the Dio fight scene. That's really good. And you should go and watch right now because it's better than anything in the modern show. But obviously, over the years, it's not because it's not just it's dominated the world. And thing. even with the idea of collective memory, we're just talking about English fandom. JoJo's always been huge in Spain and France because they they got the manga yes, exactly. Like the the anime fandom in countries like Spain, Italy, and France is so completely removed from English speaking fandom. Exactly, that the the comparison just isn't even mm, worth making of course. at this point. But Point, my point was, is that Leon's gone through a very similar arc to Jojo, but obviously in a much more subtle way, where its fandom has grown substantially. Way more people have seen Leon nowadays than were watching it 10 years ago. And that's partly like a natural progression of, of media. Course. But it, it also says something, I think, about what that show is and what it represents. It's, it's memory. Because it's, it's the like the key yeah. theme of Lane is memory and what you make of it. And ironically, Lane is kind of regardless of whether people have seen all of it now, the name serial experiments Lane is immortalized within the anime canon. It will never be forgotten. Lane is almost now quite synonymous with mindscrew anime. Mm. More even more so than something like Evangelion at Arche. Like Lane's kind of your definitive what the fuck did I just watch series. And it's become very, very popular because of that. I think the like the aesthetic value, the uncanniness of Leon herself and her character design, the just fantastic boppiness, yet somber intensity of the opening that is just kind of permeated across anime communities massively. And just even the themes of the show, it, it it's fascinating because it kind of done exactly what it was intended to do to create a dialogue to create this kind of discussion amongst anime fans and it's been really really wonderful actually to watch it grow from being this kind of niche show that like people have heard of but probably haven't seen you know it's something that's like oh hey you should watch lane blah 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 to being kind of being not ubiquitous but being very common like a lot of people know what it is. A lot of people have seen it. It's like I sat down and watched it with my partner, and they loved it. Uh, it, it. It's a really, really surreal experience going from you know, like, whoa, I'm into this really niche show that nobody else has seen, to everybody knowing about it and it being very popular in its own way. It's nice. It's, uh, I'm quite content. Yeah, I feel quite endeared towards the show now. It's in its nice little bubble where people will always try and seek it out, but at the same time, its legacy is done. It's never going to get a continuation. It'll just kind of live in its purest form forever. And I think that's that's kind of how I I see it. It's in its own little bubble that's in the bubble bath of the anime zeitgeist. So just before I close out, I'd like to say if you love Serial Experiments Lane, that I'd highly suggest checking out other Kanaka works. Now I understand that like. Most people who like Lane instantly jump to Technolize. But I think that yes. the themes of memory and reality are way more present in the big O than any other of his works. And if you kind of want just another take on Lane's ending, but in a noir 
Batman the Animated Series Big Robot setting, that's the perfect chance to do so. And also check out the film Dark City. Because that's very... I know I'm asking the impossible. Anime fans watching a live-action Western film. This is heresy. I know, it's, 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 it's a long shot, but it's a bit like The Matrix. But instead of, like, Kung Fu, it's two men walking around a swimming pool talking about false realities. Honestly, that sounds pretty dope, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and also has a lot of cool practical I'm effects. I'm very joined for that. I mean, in terms of laying and technolize... Technolize is also a very good show. It's a lot. It's substantially more somber than Lane is. That, is that a polite very... way of saying it will make you doubt happiness can ever enter your heart ever again? <laughs> kind of. Like, Technolize is notoriously nihilistic. It's like, I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but that ending still just... It's Kanaka's Nine Inch Nails it, phase. so vivid. Yeah, and it's a great show. I'd also recommend Digimon Tamers if you want sort of like the themes of Leon to be drawn out over a much longer series and in a much more audience-friendly yeah, way. Yeah, and I'd also imagine considering Digimon Tamers is an action-adventure romp, it you know, pacing is probably a little more to most people's speed. It's very, it's very, it's very well paced. It's very fun, whilst also still dealing with some serious themes. And what's kind of funny is that... Tamers seems to be the anime that Konak is most proud of having worked on. Uh, you've told me about this numerous times, and that makes yeah, me sad as someone who loves his other works, but it totally, it kind of makes sense that, like, what I assume is probably the most happy-go-lucky of his works, regardless of the darkness presence in Tamers, because I've seen, I've seen the memes, people. I've seen the memes. Oh, yes. It's like, you go on his Twitter, and it's just like, he's just tweeting about Tamers, but anyway, that's well, it's a completely different topic. Just a fun little bit of trivia All for right, you. and I'm very happy with our episode on Serial Experiments Lane. Thank you to our audience for sticking around. Thank you all for coming. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, I love sushi, I love Japan, but I love you more for staying a fan. Garugamesh. Too late to give you back My receipt is gone And I'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong Know how I used to long To hold you in my hand Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan not gonna lie, you were kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away. Marielmo, a blues, my plastic wife. Your shining gloss once put my family in strife. For what I owe to you, I swear I could die. Body pillows I left hanging dry Oh darling, we're a mess Listening to Garuga Mesh